everyone. Welcome back to Love Essie, the podcast. This is episode 61. And this week, I'm talking to you guys about a book that uh, isn't a new release, uh, per se, because it came out in 2020. But I hadn't read it. I had purchased it. I'm pretty I did pre-order it. Um, I was very excited for it. And then, you know, was, that seems to be happening kind of on the regular. Um, I didn't read it when uh, it uh, downloaded to my device. I was just like, ooh, it downloaded. Ooh, I should read it soon. And then I did it. Um, and then um, there was a book club that just happened on Saturday that was the book of choice was the book I had pre-ordered. And in case you're like, and what the book is this? Uh, Deal with the Devil by Kate Rosha. And I was like, oh my God, I have that book and I have not read it. And I should read it for this book club. So that's exactly what I did. And let me tell you, I was, uh, I was going to say pleasantly surprised, but like, no, Kate Rosha always delivers incredible books and they've done it they've done it again friends they have done it again this is book one in this series and ooh, girl is it is it fucking good is it fucking delightful the mercenary librarians uh series opener is uh, a strong contender for me you know you may read it and be like well it's a, i don't know but i personally feel like it is a very strong contender and i'm very pleased so I wanted to talk about this book because I don't know this book came out last year. It specifically came out July twenty eighth, twenty twenty. Um when I first heard about this book, it was pre pandemic, right? I think I first heard about Deal with the Devil maybe the fall of twenty nineteen, maybe even a little bit earlier. Um I'm not 100%. And I remember being very, very excited because, you know, um, the duo that is Kate Rocha, Brie and Donna, I know that they are really good authors and that they are able to craft um, fantastic and amazing worlds. If you have not read the Beyond series, it's okay. I have not fully read it, but I've read book one and that's all you need to start. Just start with book one and go forth and enjoy. Um... But I think that there is something to be said for the fact that, like, the way in which a post-apocalypse set book reads pre-COVID and everything else and mid-COVID. Because we can't say post. We're not in post. We don't know when post is yet to come. Um, But the way this book, I feel like, would have read, you know, in 2019 versus now in 2021 I think is fascinating and also different um so here's the thing obviously some of you are gonna be like Esther this book just came out July 28 2020 we have not read it and here you are spoiling it and no no I'm going to talk about it without spoiling and then I'm going to pause and then when I come back I'm going to spoil it so if you do not want it spoiled you want to listen to you know the chunk in between the non-spoiler section and gratitude latitude you will only listen to non-spoiler and the end if you don't care about being spoiled or better yet you've read the book then you'll just listen straight through straight through and that's cool too so 
for those of you who are like i have no idea about this book this is a new to me book a new to me author um let me read to you the blurb that is available on goodreads orphan black meets the post-apocalyptic avengers in the vein of ilona andrews hidden legacy series by usa today and new york times best-selling author duo kate rosha the United States went belly up 45 years ago when our power grid was wiped out. Too few live in well-protected isolation while the rest of us scrape by on the margins. The only thing that matters is survival by any means, at any cost. Nina is an information broker with a mission to bring hope to the darkest corners of Atlanta. She and her team of mercenary librarians use their knowledge to help those in need but altruism doesn't pay the bills. Raiding vaults and collecting sensitive data is where the real money is. Knox is a bitter, battle-weary super soldier who leads the, so, who leads the Silver Devils, an elite strike squad that chose to go AWOL rather than slaughter innocents. Before the devils leave town for good, they need a biochem hacker to stabilize the experimental implants and grant their superhuman abilities. The problem? Their hackers have been kidnapped, and the ransom for her return is Nina. Knox has the perfect bait for a perfect trap, a lost Library of Congress server. The data could set Nina and her team up for years, if they live that long. So... This is the blurb for Deal with the Devil, book one. Because this is the first book in this specific series, um, this book does a lot of heavy lifting in terms of world building. Um, there are some of you who are going to be like, world building, exciting. And some of you are going to be like, eee, world building. I don't know how I feel about that. That's okay. Um, Nina and Knox are to me personally i think a very fascinating couple i think it's very interesting that the authors chose to sort of start the series and give us a view into this world through these two characters because they are i think it's really interesting to see these two come together and have to figure out how to deal with everything that they're going through right like as the blurb says Knox has to um basically to get his hacker who's been kidnapped back he has to uh deliver nina right and of course this is a romance my friends so what does that mean Knox, nina forced proximity ha 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 um also i would say there's you know that feeling of like an adventure trope um so we have to as readers read and find out like how does this work out how do Knox and Nina navigate this um and I think it's a really interesting concept to navigate like what do you do when the only way that you and the people you care about can survive is by delivering someone else even though you are not sure that in the process of delivering that other person that they will be safe, right? The assumption is I'm delivering this person to someone who is, you know, kidnapped someone else to get to them. So most likely it's not a good thing. But if I don't do this, 
the people who mean the most to me will not survive. So what does that look like? How does that play out for a character, for characters who have to interact with each other when such a massive betrayal is on the line but it isn't a betrayal of like i'm doing this because i'm going to get some coin i'm doing this i am sacrificing potentially the life of one to save the life of many right and that is not a i feel like that is a concept that comes up in fiction and um in like i guess books and movies and tv shows often right weighing the possibility of life for many versus the possibility of life for one and uh, depending on the kind of character that we have right there are characters who are like i will never sacrifice x person no matter how many die right if the rest of the world dies i don't care i have to save x person and then we've got other characters who are like to save the largest amount of people i will do what needs to be done including sacrifice x including sacrificing this one person because the greater good is so much more important or this group of people or this number this one death is acceptable in a way that this plentitude of death is not so we have Knox and Nina and we've got this post-apocalyptic world and one of the things that I think um for those of you who've never read Kate Rocha um this is a bit hard to read right now and I say right now because we have a lot going on that looks and feels like the beginning strains or the middle strains of a post-apocalyptic world right um we all um who live in the united states saw what happened and what is continuing to happen in states like texas louisiana um mississippi um after this brutal snow storm that you know knocked texas's entire power grid into complete disarray right uh, and so the breakdown of infrastructure, the breakdown of these, all of the things that pe- people sort of rely on to quote unquote live their life, we see how that plays out in this book. Um, and so currently living through seeing what happened in Texas, the responses to COVID-19, you know, the the very much sort of specter of climate change and how it is impacting you know climate everywhere is really really interesting and then all of a sudden you pick up this fictional book and and the premise or the the explanations for how the world that we are being introduced to exists aren't far-fetched don't seem impossible or improbable they unfortunately in some ways feel very probable feel very very near right these you don't read it and think oh well that could never happen you read it or at least i read it and thought we are maybe a few baby steps away from this (laughs) like we really are not very far removed um i don't know 
I saw some random TikTok talking about, you know, like how what happened in Texas. And some people were like, in the responses, it was kind of like, yeah, like doomsday prepping, which six years ago would have seemed kind of crazy. Even four years ago, three and a half years ago, um, would have seemed a little like, what? What have you been smoking now is looking like, hmm, maybe we all should be preparing for you know, having enough food and water to last, you know, 10 to 12 days at least without power. Like, what are the things that we need in case, you know, everything goes to literal hell? And so this book, in some ways, right, makes us think about these things, which can be both good and bad, right? Like, you might be thinking, you know what, life is pretty, pretty craptastic, and I don't like that. I'm trying to escape how bad everything is everything is so in some ways this book might feel like you were trying to escape and here we are trying to remind you of how things are not great at the same time it's gonna i think is gonna give you um food for thought to think of like okay um what would i need or how could what would life look like if you know the worst happened and we had a very different way of life to look at as opposed to what we know so i really enjoyed the world building i really enjoyed the romance between nina and knox um i feel like some people might feel like we didn't focus enough on them because in some ways we needed to really understand the world so maybe we spent more time on world building i don't necessarily feel that way i think we got enough time with nina and knox what this first book does do though is sort of it does set the stage for the pairings that we will see in future books that doesn't mean that you're like oh well like you're not going to read it and be like oh well now i don't want to know what happens next you're going to want to know more but it does help to sort of start to set the stage for what is coming next or at least give you um ideas of what could happen next because i a part of me feels like i thought of certain things but i don't know if that's what would happen like i'm it almost feels like i'm thinking one thing and kit rosha you know brie and don are gonna be like what you thought is actually not even close to like what we came up with because we are writers and you are just you know a reader who doesn't even see our vision so i really personally you know as we're in this non-spoiler section (laughs) i really did enjoy this book and even though there were definitely moments where I was like, oh, this is hitting really close to home. Oh, this is making me like really, really think about like, so am I prepared for, you know, a total power failure? Oh, I don't know. And how do I prepare for that? And what do I do? Um, I feel like, at least for me, that made me, you know, start thinking about that. I'm sure having those kinds of questions, but as a book, I really, really enjoyed it. And I also really enjoyed getting to know all of the characters in this world. Like, I really, obviously, the main couple, Knox and Nina, but not just Knox and Nina, you know. Um, 
Ray, Maya, Danny, Rafe, Connell, Ava, like getting to know these characters and at the same time knowing that this is just the tip of the iceberg. This is just the beginning. There's more to know about these characters. I really, really enjoyed. Um, so if you haven't read Deal with the Devil, you should. If you've never read Kit Rosha, it doesn't matter where you start. Whether you start with the Beyond series or you start with this one, you should read them. They are really good at what they do. Like, Brie and Donna are really, really good at what they do. Um, you might be like, the series title is Mercenary Librarians. Like, I don't understand. And I think what, at least for me, was really clear from this first book. I think that sometimes when we think about librarians, we just think of people who check out books for us at the public library. And librarians are not just that. Librarians are people who can help us find information, who can help us catalog information, who can help us find information for so many myriad types of situations. Librarians help people who don't know how to use the internet, um, but are looking for a job, are looking for how to apply for unemployment, are looking for an apartment, are looking for um, childcare, getting a pet, right? Librarians help, you know, students who need um, help with research projects. Librarians help people who um, are new to a community and are trying to figure, you know, where certain activities might take place. Librarians and libraries are places where a community can come together in so many different ways. Um, both... Um, Bree and Donna mentioned that one of the reasons why, you know, they wanted to write about librarians is because libraries were both, were so impactful in both their lives. And as someone who grew up spending all of her time in the library, I completely understand where they're coming from. Public libraries specifically, which is obviously a huge concept in the, you know, United States and Canada. Um, and some of you might be like, everywhere, not everywhere has public libraries, so let's get that that idea out of our minds um not all everywhere is lucky enough to have a government or a you know a system of governance that understands the positive about a public library system but i was lucky enough to grow up in a place that did and public that the public library was a place where i knew that i could go and I could spend hours, right, while they were open, reading books. I might not be able to afford these books um, in everyday life, but I could go and I could read. And no one was going to belittle me or make me feel small or wrong for wanting to read in a public library, right? In a way that, like, sometimes you can be in school and whether it's classmates, teachers, administrators can make you feel bad for really being into reading. That never happens in a library. Librarians are never like, oh no, you like to read. That is trash. Or at least I've never met those kind of librarians. The librarians I have always encountered have been so excited that I'm excited about reading. I've been so excited to share their favorites with me, um, to talk about what we enjoy and see like what new things we can discover 
And so in this series, we're getting to see what that might look like when you don't have a state-sponsored, a public-sponsored library. Like, what does it look like when the systems of governance do not believe or or no, I feel like it's like do not believe that a public library system is beneficial to the population. What does that look like though? Like what does it look like when you know that people need access and not just access to information, also access. I think what's uh, also really important to consider is access to entertainment, right? Because not everything that you read in the public library is going to be factual and about, you know, specific facts pertaining to a specific subject. I mean, fiction, regardless of its sort of um, heading, is not about that. But that is just as important to life and development of self and community as anything else and so we get to see what that role may look like or looks like or could look like in a post-apocalyptic world um which I thought was fascinating I was just like oh okay all right I see it I like it yes give me more um so yes I don't know how much more I can say without like starting to spoil stuff. So I'm going to pause here, right? And then when I come back, I'm going to be like all about them spoilers, spoilers here, spoilers there, spoilers everywhere. Um, So we'll pause here. You can, I mean, run to drink uh, some water, some juice, some sparkling champagne. Um, imagine if I was like, go drink some champagne, but make sure it's flat. No bubbles, just flat champagne. No, don't do that. Don't listen to me. All right, I'll be right back. All right, so I'm back, and now it's time for spoilers. So if you're all like, I don't want spoilers for Deal with the Devil by Kate Rosha, then you stop listening now and you fast forward to Gratitude Latitude. If you don't care about spoilers, keep listening. If you've already read the book, keep listening. But if spoilers piss you off, I seriously, just just pause here. Skip. Just do it. Um, be good to yourself. Um, so anyway. Deal with the devil. Nina Knox. I love them together. So Nina and Knox, right, both are essentially the leaders of their teams, right? Nina has got Maya and Danny. Knox has Gray, Connell, and Rafe. And these two leaders, captains, whatever you want to call them, end up together. And I love it. Now, I think it's really interesting that these two, what you could potentially say are, how do I put this? So in the case of Nina and Knox, right, they're both the leaders of their team. They have to make the sort of the hard decisions not not like someone has put you know uh a gun to their head like you must but like they are the ones that sort of like we're doing this we're not doing this and I feel like in romance specifically we often see someone who's in the position of a leader whether they are the captain the head whatever ending up in a romance with someone who is the opposite of that who is someone who quote-unquote loosens them up so 
you see like in in another romance you might have seen Knox with someone else on Nina's team like you wouldn't have seen Knox and Nina you might have seen Knox and Maya or Knox and Danny someone who is not on the same level as Knox and somehow loosens him up and opens him up that's not what Kit Rosha gives us Brie and Donna are like no we've got two people who intimately understand what it means to lead others into situations that are literal life and death and the the good and the bad and the ugly of that and so in this what we get to see is how two people who have so much responsibility on their shoulders how they interact with each other because one of the things that i think is really fascinating is that Knox and nina understand the level of responsibility commitment um everything that their positions entail in a way that i think anyone else in their world wouldn't because other people in their world are not in the position that they're in they are not necessarily you know i had Knox ended up with Maya or Danny Maya or Danny wouldn't understand the pressure the the reason I mean what Knox does and why he does it does make sense on one level right he has he believes he has to betray Nina because it's the only way to keep his men alive when he doesn't know Nina when he doesn't know Nina's team that's perfectly fine it's really easy to say I'm going to sacrifice x person or people to save this group of people who mean everything to me it is very different once you get to know that group of people and they aren't you know bad terrible humans but like people who like you are doing their best in the circumstances that you're in it's much harder to betray them at that point so we're we but i think that Knox and nina having similar roles in their lives allows them to really see each other and to really um know exactly the cost of the decisions that are made right and not just the cost of decisions that are made but the cost of not making certain decisions Nina and Knox can both clearly see why making a certain decision would have worked in a different way or would have had a different response or reaction or ending in a way that I don't think anyone else in the series who isn't sort of in charge would have understood. So in the book club portion, um, we got to add, I definitely asked like why did the series start with this couple as opposed to any of the other pairings? Because it's very clear in this first book, right, that we've got Nina and Knox are our main love story in book one, but we can already see the setup for um, Rafe and Danny and Gray and Maya, and then we also have questions about Ava. You're probably like, who's Ava? Well, that would be one of Nina's sisters, um, which we don't know at the beginning of the book, but we, through the book, learn of her and uh, we don't learn that much, but I definitely want more. And so I, th- uh, and so what Bree and Donna ex- explained was that to bring these two teams together, right? So to bring Nina, Maya, and Danny together with Knox, Rafe, Gray, and Connell, we needed to have Nina 
and Knox end up together. Because when the two leaders fall for each other, it allows for an intermingling of the two teams to be meld into one in a way that we wouldn't have seen if we had started the series with Rafe and Danny or Maya and Gray. Because those two, those characters wouldn't have brought everyone else in. Nina and Gray are, or sorry, Nina and Knox, not Gray. Nina and Knox are the kinds of characters who are used to operating both for themselves and for the greater good, right? And in that are the kind of people who bring others into their orbit and those people in their orbit then end up commingling. And it would have been a lot harder to do that if the series had started with any of the other pairings. Um, so as I'd mentioned in the first portion, right, this is a post-apocalyptic world. Um, Technocorp, which is the bad guy, well, one of the bad guys, feels like it could be any number of sort of terrible technological um, corporations that we know of. Um, I definitely, you know, um, the fact that Knox and every, you know, all of them who sign up for Technocorp, so it's like, Knox, Gray, Connell, Rafe, the fact that they're recruited when they're so young. It reminded me of, so at sort of the height of things being really terrible in New York, maybe not at the height, but definitely late April, May, when people were like, I'm out of a job and I can't get unemployment. And Cuomo, Andrew Cuomo, the governor, very much was like, well, there are essential jobs out there. We're in the midst of a global pandemic. Right. And at at that last April, last May, last June, we still were like, oh, shit, we don't know how we can mitigate or how we can slow down the spread, this side and the other. And your response to people being like, I'm out of a job. I can't get an employment. What should I do is get an essential job, essentially sell yourself, sell your body to the jobs that are really, really, really high risk and do not have you know, a, um, equitable return, right? You are risking your life working at an Amazon distribution center, at a supermarket, this end and the other for a much lower pay rate. But that's what you, the governor of a state is telling you to do, right? So to me, it felt very much like what we were seeing in the book was that Knox and the other men of the Silver Devils had um, sold their bodies, um, sold themselves into a system that was like, oh, thank you so much for being so desperate due to the conditions we have perpetuated that you've now joined us. And now that you are so desperate that you've joined us, you will do what we need you to do. And some of it is going to be, hmm borderline okay a lot of it is going to be borderline terrible and a lot of it is going to be outright evil but guess what there are no other options anyway so what what are you going to do nothing right and so we see some some inkling not some inklings we see some of that right now it's like oh you lost your job you're broke this that and the other so go work for amazon amazon isn't helping isn't taking care of their employees in the way that they should but oh well 
at least you've got a job. At least you're making money, right? You know, at least you can pay your rent, this, that, and the other. Um, so I thought, I think it's really interesting because we see, um, I don't know that we always stop and think about the, it was mentioned in the book, uh, the commodification of the body, right? We definitely can think of commodification of the body when we, for example, think of sex work. Ah, yes, someone sleeping with someone for money is commodification of the body. But isn't commodification of the body the same thing when you go and work by using your body for a, a corporate or for a specific corporation? Isn't that, for example, construction? You are, yes, there's skill, but but it is your body that you are using and putting on the line for that money, right? It is your body that you're using, putting on the line to work in a warehouse, a distribution center for an Amazon or whatnot. Um, it is not, you know, the your literal like. Um, I was gonna say it's not your literal body, but it is. It's being used differently. It's not being used in a sexual and intimate manner. It's being used in a um, detached and cold manner, but it's still the body being used. And when it is no longer functioning, it is considered no longer useful and not terminating that Amazon's like you're no longer useful here's death but you're no longer useful here are your walking papers here you are being fired or laid off or the set and the other so one of the things that I think is fascinating about deal with the devil is that right we're seeing Knox and his team who may at one point have had a very idealized view of who the Silver Devils were or what the Silver Devils were capable of. And knowing when we meet them that because they've, you know, sort of escaped the um, protectorate and knowing that these men know that they were a part of literal you know quote-unquote evil and no matter in Knox's case I think he believes no matter what he does right his focus is to save his men but no matter what he does he is damned he right he's doomed he there is no saving him there is no saving Knox the the captain because it is over for not that man um there is in it there is no point to saving him because who is he except someone who may have found ways to um allow evil to flourish without turning into a PR nightmare. And then in the case of Nina, right, who she is a clone and she is coming from we we're then left to understand that like the Technocorp where, you know, Knox and his team come from are not the only like sort of bad company, you know, trying to genetically engineer people, but you know, that there are more. And so Nina and her twin her clone sister Ava are an example of like, you know, what happens when that doesn't work out the way someone expects it to. All right. 
And what's really interesting in the series is that everyone has all of these genetic modifications. And what does that really mean when we go in and we change, you know, people to have superhuman strength, to be able to remember everything they ever hear, to be able to interface with their team through a neural patch, aka being able to hear your team in your head without, you know, anything but this neural thing, this neural chip in your brain, right? So it's like, I'm hearing you in my head, like telepathy, but not like engineered telepathy. Um, So I think it's a really interesting world to look at and see, especially with everything going on. Um, I definitely, as I was reading it, there were moments where I was like, ooh, this really reminds me of like the craziness of now. Because the story is set um, in and around Atlanta. And one of the things, it's the, you know, there was these massive solar flares and all of that just knocked out all the power. But just this concept or this idea of, you know, the fact that the United States has so much infrastructure that is crumbling and dying. And we saw that just a few like what two weeks ago now in texas texas as a state lost power and within a 36 hour period we you know stories of death of despair of of love of a level of um decay that I think a lot, many of us wouldn't have even considered pre the storm, pre this pandemic, right? There is infrastructures in cities across the United States are underfunded. And this isn't, I don't think that this is an issue solely specific to the, to the United States. I think that infrastructure as a whole is often put on the back burner and that money is, you, you know, sh- you know, um, funneled into other areas until something goes wrong. I mean, I don't remember how long ago it was, but I'm pretty sure I recall there being some like bridge in like Italy that collapsed, and it's like because the there wasn't the the maintenance wasn't maintained. Like all of us don't necessarily stop and think of roads, sidewalks, bridges, and electrical grids and water treatment plants and you know all that as necessarily being important but any of those things collapse and then what do we do right if roads fall into complete disrepair they completely disrupt the supply chain how do you get food how do you get any any goods any finished goods how do you get them right you have um the maintenance on water pipes and water treatment plants falter what do you do Sure, there's water, but it's unsafe. Oh, you need to boil it. In the case of Texas, a few weeks ago, or two weeks ago, boil water, but we don't have. There was a boil water advisory when people didn't have electricity. So what exactly? How am I boiling this water? I mean, if I've got a goddamn, you know, fire pit, cool. But if I don't have a fire pit, or better yet, I can't even access the water because the water pressure or whatever, the water table is so low that there is no flowing water so then what do i do how does this happen 
of course they had had snow so there were people who improvised and melted snow in you know massive like you know gumbo crawfish pots on you know um a propane uh, like a a torch outside or candles or whatever so there's you know we got to see in real time like what does it look like when just one aspect of infrastructure completely fails for longer than anyone is prepared for and most people are not prepared for the power to go out for 36 48 72 hours most people you know the power can go out for five hours and they weren't really prepared um so we got to see it in real life and in this book the reason why the world that we get to inhabit is as how it is is because you know infrastructure was not maintained it was just allowed to falter and falter and falter until you know this catastrophic event which you know because once you get to a point of i would say the point of no return it's no longer about maintenance it's like this is so far gone we would need to completely rehaul redo and of course doing that costs even more money and so very often it just gets put off right oh it's a re-election year for this you know politician so we won't focus on that we'll focus on you know the kind of campaign promises that will really get people out there and voting and won't necessarily be that expensive to implement if we implement um and so we will ignore the flashing red sign about these infrastructure issues and hope that it's someone else's problem or pretend that we're going to tackle them once things are better and things are more stable or solidified or there's more uh, a specific government has more power more access so this book i think again i don't want you to be like but i thought it was a romance this is seeming all really dim and dire and bleak um no it's really i think a romance that shows us how characters respond to this kind of a world how they react the hope that you can find even amongst the literal rubble of everything you've ever known how that hope can be both nurtured and destroyed and what does that mean what does that look like um so really to me really really sort of fascinating to see you know what um what Nina Knox and their teams really meant in terms of like these are people who want to help and how do they help right now Knox and his team were quote-unquote the bad guys before they ran away from the bad guys and so these are men who know that they've committed wrong who know that they've done wrong and that there's nothing there is no oh I get a do-over oh I get to wipe the slate clean there is no there's none of that but there is the idea um of becoming the kind of men that they may be okay with right when the moment comes with you know knowing that you can't completely atone for everything you've ever done but getting to a place where you aren't you know looking at yourself in the mirror and just seeing you know the sheer you know the, the, the devil and the sheer sort of pain and destruction you've caused 
Nina and her team, I think, operate from obviously from a different standpoint. And having the two teams interact is, I think, what really helps us to see how things change because Nina and her team are living in a world where hope seems like the most expensive commodity and also useless. Like, why do you have hope? It's dumb. It's just, you're just going to continuously be hurt and be torn down and get to a point where there is just nothing left. And yet Nina and her, and, and the her the two women who make up her team, but, you know, sort of a secondary family, uh, Danny and Maya, these three women uh, work so hard to give back, to provide the hope that is like not even a flickering flame like we're talking like the teeny tiniest of sparks like a spark so small that you know just a brief will have it sort of disintegrating we get to see that and seeing the three of them sort of approach life with this idea of like there is hope even in the most hopeless of places and situations It's like this illuminating beacon in some ways for Knox and his team. Because I think for them, you know, we start the book with them just being really focused on survival of self. And as the book goes on and they interact with Nina and her team, it's like survival of self at the cost of such incredible hope in such times of, you know, hopelessness is is it can is it even worth it is it even worth it um and so we see all of that with these characters um and the world building Ugh, just i mean i don't want that world to ever come true but damn they did a damn good job on it they did a damn good job on it like brie and donna <laughs> thank you thank you for this book because it's so so good um i'm trying to think if there's anything else i wanted to say specifically in this spoiler section um i mean i really enjoy nina and Knox. the next book um is maya and gray and i'm so excited um brie and donna did say that it's like soft and a slow burn so if you like slow burn you're gonna like the next book because it's gonna be all about slow burn and i'm really really looking forward to that all right, so I'm going to stop here because I don't think I have anything else. And then I'm going to come back with gratitude, latitude. Yes. Come back, guys. Come back. I say that like you're going to be walking somewhere like I'm doing this live. Like, anyway, you know what I mean. I'll see you in a few. Okay, so it's gratitude, latitude this week, right? I mean, it's gratitude, latitude every week, but this week so the first thing that i'm grateful for this week so um my aunt lives in spain um, in barcelona to be exact and my mom hadn't been able to get through on her phone um from toronto to my aunt and she'd been a little bit worried about that and i was all like oh i have long distance on my phone and i thought i think i can three-way with my aunt like I should be able to, right? I, I've done three-way calling with, like, me, my brother, and my mom, so it should be easy. And guess what, guys? I was able to three-way call my aunt in Barcelona, Spain, and, you know, also add my mom in Toronto, Canada. And it was so nice to be able to, like, hear the, like, speak to my aunt, but also, like, 
be able to connect my mom and my aunt um together and so I was really grateful for the fact that like I was able to have this long distance plan on T-Mobile allowed me to call Spain and I also had three-way calling so that I could like be the connection or the bridge or whatever the fuck you want to call it for my mom and my aunt I thought that was like I guess I don't always really think about like how useful or not useful three-way calling could be but I found a really, really fantastic use for it. And I really, really fucking appreciated that. I was kind of like, oh, yes, past me getting long distance. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it was just like, ah, yes. I don't know why I did it, but it was a good idea. And I'm so glad that I did. I will be continuing to use it. So, woot, 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 woot. <laughs> You're probably like, oh, my God, girl. Um, So that's the first thing that I am grateful for. The second thing that I am uh, grateful for this week is okay so this is a food thing there are these cookies um that trader joe's has and it's like this like cookie with sort of like a fudgy chocolate filling but that's also like dipped completely in chocolate i don't even remember the name of them and um i finished the whole package but anyway they were so delicious and i was really really grateful for the fact that like they were so delicious it's weird sometimes i really really like chocolate stuff sometimes i don't sometimes i'm like this is too much or this is this is no these were phenomenal delicious so fucking good i was like oh yes yes give me more i love it i need it i want it um so yeah i was very very grateful for that um, which is like hilarious because it's like, oh girl, really? And it's weird because like I said, because I'm not a huge, huge, I like chocolate, but I'm not a huge, huge fan. I normally don't think I would have picked them up, but something about them made them seem like enticing. And I was like, mm, okay. And then just blew my mind, blew my mind, blew my mind. The third thing that I'm grateful for, um, so I live in New York, right? And there's a lot of what I would call light pollution. Like, the city's never, like, really dark. And where I live in the Bronx, like, there's street lights, all that. So, I ordered a pajama set a while ago. And it was a top bottom, and it also came with an eye mask. And sleeping with an eye mask, guys, is a game changer. Because it blocks out so much light. That I didn't even realize was preventing me from having, a you know, a better sleep. Because I never really thought about it. I never really... I thought about getting blackout curtains now and then. But had never gotten around to it. And yo, this eye mask is kind of silky. You know, fake silk, but whatever. Amazing. I is that silk or is it satin? Who cares? Um, all I know is that having an eye mask to block out like the majority of the light in your room is really making like major changes to my sleep and like in a good way and a part of me is like wow it took us so long to figure that out what in the what how did this happen why did it take so long but at the same time i'm so glad that i finally have that because whoa like just an amazing option so i do like honestly if you are like oh i have a lot of light in my room but i don't want to get blackout curtains or i don't want to get yourself an eye mask get yourself an eye mask because it is a game slash life changer like i will probably never go back to sleeping with that one um, wait it's just 
again, I don't really think I thought about how much light comes into my room. And not only that, now that the sun is starting to rise earlier, right? Like on weekends, the sunshine is just, I mean, it's wonderful when I'm awake. But if I'm trying to sleep and all of a sudden I'm woken up at like seven something on a Sunday because the sun is just like, hey, hey girl, I'm here. I'm here with my rays that are penetrating your windows and like, burning it alive like okay that may, i may be exaggerating a little but it's just man motherfucking bright without the eye mask but with the eye mask it ain't bright it's nice and dark dark like my soul i'm kidding um dark you know like you need it to be for really great sleep so that eye mask business pfft, changing changing lives changing lives uh so yeah those are the three things i'm grateful for this week um i definitely um oh you know what i started uh doing guys drinking water but squeezing some like like lemon into my water which like i know that that's like a thing that you should be doing but i hadn't been doing and now i'm doing it and mm, delicious delicious um it's a little on the bitter side but i kind of like it I yeah yeah squeeze squeeze some fresh lime or fresh lemon into your water and it will elevate your water elevate it to bougie water spa water you know fancy schmancy water um and definitely have been enjoying that so um but yeah that's what I've got for you guys this week um again deal with the devil was awesome loved it cannot wait for book uh, two which is coming out i believe when is book two out let me double check for you guys so book two is called the devil you know that would be maya and gray's book and that friends will be available august 31st 2021 so that is august is the eighth month we're at the end of the second month like you'll be listening to this on march 1st um the beginning of the third month so just like five-ish months away let's say almost six um but yes the devil you know book two march lies august 31st um the cover i also do enjoy so thank you again for listening and hanging out with me as i talk about romance novels next week i'm going to be talking about a talia hibbert book a new one because it comes out basically next week so i'm going to be very very excited about that to share that with you because oh my god um i am a huge fan of hers in case you weren't sure um so yeah that'll be next week but that's it for this week again thank you take care drink water add some lime or lemon um and you know what else go outside stand you know somewhere where you can feel the sun on your face and then just say, I am wonderful. Just go outside and do that for yourself. It may, it may feel weird. It may feel foolish. It may feel funny. But you deserve. You deserve. So I want you to do it. <laughs> You're probably like, what in the what? Um, yeah, that's it for this week. Thank you so much. I will talk to you guys next week. Okay, bye.